Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. For the second week of Advent, Pastor Brittany taught from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 22, reminding us that true, deep peace isn't the absence of adversity, but the very presence of God in the midst of it. Um, how many of you guys are, like, loving this Christmas season? How many of you guys are like, ugh? So just Matt. Christina, I know that's not true. Uh, I love the Christmas season. Um, I, this is my first Christmas being married. I know, that's not the point, but it's also, it's a woohoo matter. But uh, this is the first time that I uh, have to think about how much money I'm spending on Christmas decorations, because it's not just mine now. Uh, my husband's super gracious. Every day when I would come home with a new bag from Target or Michael's or an Amazon order with something new for Christmas decor, he just grinned and smiled. And I learned very early on that I shouldn't ask him to help me set it up because he's this is not his thing. But I just get to decorate our home however I like. So our home is very Christmassy right now. Um, we put some Christmas lights outside. We are the Griswolds of our apartment complex now, um, as it should be. Um, I love the Christmas season. I love the lights. I love the music. I love the smells. I love everything about it. Um, and what I, one thing that I really love is Advent. Uh, a couple years back, we started participating in the traditional Advent season um, in the way that you saw this morning. Um, and this year, we've kind of structured our teaching series to be in line with Advent, to sort of reinforce the different Advent themes that we're focusing on each week. Um, I love Advent because... It slows us down, like Mike was talking about in the video. It slows us down. It gives us a little bit of space to really think about what we're celebrating in the season leading up to it. We have little slogans like, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? And we say them like, we see them on cheesy bumper stickers. Um, But so often, we don't really have time in the Christmas season to really slow down and think about what that is. And Advent creates a space here when we gather and as you go home to your families to really focus on what does it mean that we are anticipating this Christmas day. We are anticipating celebration of Jesus' birth. Um, Oftentimes during the holidays, words like hope and joy and peace are thrown around, right? Uh, We make Christmas ornaments out of them. Uh, We're hearing songs about them in the mall. Uh, We have Christmas sweaters with them written on that you're going to wear next week. Also, if you don't want to wear an ugly sweater, you can wear a regular Christmas sweater. Only Jamie will shame you, no one else. Um, But you're welcome, Jamie. Can we give a round of applause for Jamie? She was so proud of how much applause she got for other people. We just should always applaud Jamie. Um, But Advent gives us some space to really slow down during all of the hustle and bustle of this season and reflect on what it really means that Jesus came to earth, that the God of the universe took on flesh, came down to earth to live among us and be one of us. Advent is both looking back at the, at, the, the first, at the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and also looking forward at his promised return. And here we are in the in-between, right? We're in between this, this fulfilled promise that a Messiah would come and this yet-to-be-fulfilled promise that he will return and make all things new and set all things right on earth as it is in heaven, And so we live in this in-between, and in the in-between are some pretty dark and hard times sometimes, right? Things are painful, things are messy, things are are not as they should be. Uh, You don't have to look very hard to see that things are not as they should be. But in this in-between, we see moments of overlap, 
Overlap of the not yet, but the already. Overlap where the kingdom of heaven touches the, the earth. And we see this in moments like when we look in the Old Testament and we see the, the, the temple, the tabernacle. We see that the presence of God came from heaven and dwelt among the people. That was holy ground because it was a space where heaven met earth physically here on our planet. When we look at things like miracles, miracles are this moment where heaven is touching earth. <clears throat> Excuse me. This moment where heaven is touching earth. Uh, it's, it's, miracles are when the ways of heaven interfere with the ways of earth in ways that we can't make sense of, right? When something not of this world happens in this world that doesn't make sense for us here, and those are miracles. We call them miracles, right? Like, this doesn't make sense for us here, and so it's evidence of heaven touching earth in these small ways. And of course, the most miraculous way that heaven met earth was in the incarnation of Jesus, right? The fact that heaven actually came down and lived among us, dwelt among us to live how we should live, and to love how we should love. In the person of Jesus, heaven and earth touched together in a way that would make the world never the same again. Really early on, we learn from human history when we look at the Bible that things didn't go as we would hope they would go, right? We look, <clears throat> we were made for a relationship with God to be near him. We see in the Garden of Eden, we were made to be in relationship with God. When it talks about Adam in the garden with God, it says that they walked together in the garden. There was an intimacy that existed between mankind and God that was uninterrupted, unpolluted, a pure, peaceful, harmonious relationship between mankind and God. But most of us know what happened, right? It's the same thing that happens now. The story goes that Satan tempted the man and the woman. He came to them and he said, did God really say not to do this? Is God really who he says he is? Is he trying to withhold something good from you? Evaluate for yourself if you believe this God. And so the sin wasn't really when they took the fruit and they ate it. The sin was really the moment that they decided that maybe God wasn't who he said he was. And maybe he didn't love them the way that he said that he loved them. And maybe he wouldn't do for them what he said he would do for them. And maybe he was withholding good things from them. And so they decided to take matters into their own hands and do for themselves what they thought that God was withholding from them. This is really what we experience today, right? As they took matters into their own hands, sin entered this perfect harmony and peace. And it disrupted it and distorted it. And we still see the effects today. It spread like wildfire through humanity. Now, today, for most of us, our wrestle with God is that we don't believe that maybe he's as good as he says he is. It's hard for us to accept that the things that he tells us to say no to are good for us and he's not withholding things. It's hard for us to believe that the things that he calls us into and asks us to engage with are the things that are going to give us life. We still wrestle deep in our core. We still as mankind wrestle with, is God really good? Is he really who he says he is? Does he really have for me what he promises for me? Can I really trust him with my life? Or must I take matters into my own hands? 
And we still see God responding to us the same way we see him responding all over the Bible. And that is he continues to pursue us. He continues to chase after us. He continues relentlessly to gather us back to himself and bring us home to him. We still fall. He gets us up. We turn our backs. He brings us home. It's this constant, constant cycle of us rejecting and him pursuing The story of the Bible is the story of the relentless love of God that would pursue us and chase after our hearts no matter the cost. It's the story of him making a way out when it feels like there is no way out. It's the story of him making all things new and setting all things right. In the book of Isaiah, we find the divided nation of Israel under the rising threat of the Assyrian Empire. They have rebelled, they've turned their backs on God, they've not trusted him, they've not believed him. All of the things that we've been saying are all of our problems, right? The nation of Israel finds themselves on the brink of what will turn out to be a really terrible time in their history. But in the midst of this time, God sends a messenger named Isaiah to come to the people and tell them, this is why this is all happening, but there it will be hope for you still. He tells them that there's a future hope, that God has not abandoned them, that he will send someone to rescue them from their estrangement from him. He will send someone to make all things right, to rescue them from their sin and rebellion and bring them peace. And so 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah says these words, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. In the midst of their rebellion and the consequences of that rebellion, God makes a way where there appears to be no way and says, help will come. I will send one who will redeem you, who will buy back all of the pain, who will buy back all of the punishment for your sins and your rebellion and your running away from me. I will make a way where there is no way. 700 years before Jesus comes, he tells us to the people of Israel, no matter how long you have to wait for that day to come, you can be sure that day will come because I am who I say I am and I will do what I say I will do. And I'm telling you, I'm sending a redeemer. So for 700 years, the people of Israel, they wait and they wrestle with what do we do living in the in-between, right? This promise that, that this day will come, but living in a very, a very real reality that this is not that time. One commentator summarized the plight of Israel's faith as this. I want you to listen carefully. It says, The question forced upon them by the threat of Assyria was one of trust. In what will God's people trust for salvation? In human strategies of self-defense, or in prophetic promises of divine grace? This is still the question forced on us today, under the threat of the world that we live in and all that is going wrong all around us. The question still remains, in what or whom will the people of God place their trust? It's the same question. In the prophecy about Jesus, he's called the Prince of Peace. And it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is peace. The second week of Advent is about peace. 
We want to talk about that this morning. I want us to keep in mind as we talk about this, this question that this commentator proposed. In what will we place our trust for our lives, for our salvation? Is it in our own ways, our own self-defense, our own means of getting justice, our own means of making peace, or will it be in the divine prophetic promises of grace? So as we talk about peace, I want us to think about the fact that us experiencing peace here on a world, on, on a, in a world filled with so much unrest, those moments where we experience peace as humans are moments of us experiencing heaven. Those moments of experiencing peace are moments where heaven meets earth and we experience something otherworldly. We experience the presence of God. What I want us to leave here with today is something incredibly simple. And when I say it now, you might write it off. And I hope by the time we're done this morning, it's not just simple, but it's incredibly profound. Our experience of peace is otherworldly. They are moments when heaven meets earth because peace is the presence of God. Peace is the presence of God. That is what it is. Any time we experience peace, there are moments where heaven meets earth and we are experiencing the presence of God present in our life now in the in-between. How many of you have experienced a time where you felt peace in a situation where you should have had no peace? If you have not, that is available to you. And I'm praying that this morning God meets you there. And if you have experienced that, we hold on to that with every fiber of our being in the moments where we can't find any peace. Knowing that in a moment, our God might touch earth and grant us the gift of his peace in a season, in a moment, in a day where it feels like none can be found. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a, if you have a paper Bible and you want to open it up, um, if you have a app, you can open it up. If you need the table of contents, that's going to be in the front of your Bible. If you want to flip to the back of your Bible, look for all the Ians. It's between Galatians, Philippians, you'll find Ephesians right in the middle. As we jump into this passage, I want us to, to clarify peace for a moment, okay? So our understanding here, this side of heaven of peace, is a very different understanding than the biblical concept of peace. So I want to clarify, before we start talking about peace, I want to make sure we're all talking about the same peace. Oh, I made a change this morning on my phone that didn't transfer into my, into my thing. I'm just going to look at it on here. So, okay, yes. Before we jump in, I want to say a couple of things about peace. The Bible, the, the peace that Bible, the Bible speaks of is different than the peace that we often think of here this side of heavens. Because I think this world has a shallow understanding of peace. We have a shallow understanding of most things. We take these heavenly, these heavenly things that the Bible talks about and we make them real small and, and digestible, right? Something that's comfortable that we can make sense of. So we have, often have shallow understandings of, of pretty large things that God is trying to communicate to us. Shallow peace is the dictionary definition of peace. Dictionary definition of peace is freedom from disturbance. Freedom from or cessation of a time of war. 
by the dictionary's definition of peace, peace only exists when conflict ceases. Okay? This is not the type of peace that the Bible is talking about. This is shallow peace. Shallow peace is, is, is shattered in an instant, right? Uh, I, I think of, I think of um, some of you moms that I see posts on Facebook that make me not want to have children, um, where uh, some of you I've seen where you'll post these like stories from inside of the bathroom, and you can hear the kids outside the bathroom door, Mom! And, and it's these moms like talking to their friends that they can only see through social media because they have no time to actually see their friends saying like, this is my reality, and there's chaos outside the door, and all they can do to catch a moment of break is lock themselves in the bathroom, and even then, like, the peace is shattered in a moment, right? It's these grasps for these moments of peace in the midst of chaos that we see. Shallow peace is fickle. It changes with every news cycle. In one breath, we think maybe things are getting better, and then the next news cycle happens, or the same one news cycle continues. And it feels like everything is shattered. We so desperately desire moments of shallow peace because we are so desperately thirsty for a deeper peace that we can't conjure up for ourselves. I don't know about you, but for me, anxiety is this constant hum. I used to think I wasn't an anxious person. And I've realized that there's just this low level, like a fluorescent light, where like if you pay attention, you see the bu- you hear the buzz, but if you don't, you just live your life with that buzz there. Stress is all around us. We're looking for these moments of peace because our world is crazy. Life is chaotic. But the peace that the Bible talks about is this word called shalom. And I'm going to put on the board this definition, and this I want you to write it in your notes or in your Bible. This is the definition we're working off of this morning. The peace of the Bible, the peace of heaven, is wholeness. The peace of heaven is the way that life should be. It's putting back together what was divided. This is peace. This is the working definition of peace that we're using this morning. It is wholeness. It is as things should be. It is setting things right that are wrong. It is making things new that are broken. Peace in the Bible is not the absence of, co- of conflict. It's not the absence of hostility, but it's reconciliation. It's a promise to refrain. Oh, when the Bible talks about peace, it, peace among, among uh, conflicting people, it doesn't talk about the absence of hostility, like a neutral, a neutral zone. It talks about hostility being done away with and peace being made. Now I am directly uh, uh, invested in your uh, um, uh, welfare. It's promoting the welfare of others. So it's not just this neutral ground of now hostility is gone and we're neutral. It's now I'm on your team. It's putting it together. It's not just removing hostility. It's making things whole and making things right. And so Israel misunderstood this promise of peace. They believed when they read that passage in Isaiah and a bunch of other passages, they believed that this would look like military peace. This would look like the kingdom of Israel being restored to all of its glory, and they would experience peace from conflict. For us, we think the same thing often. We want peace, and so we think that means that God will eradicate all of the things that bring us stress, 
He will eradicate the chaos. He will eradicate the hostility. He will eradicate all of the wrongs that have been, that have been done. But what the Bible is talking about is something so much deeper than changing our circumstances. What the Bible is talking about is changing our hearts despite our circumstances. God is always up to something bigger and something deeper. And so we're going to look at this Ephesian passage with this idea of peace in mind, that it means wholeness, putting things right together that have been divided. So in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, For he, Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. There is so much in this passage that we could spend a whole series on, honestly. But what we're going to take from this passage this morning is this idea of how Jesus brought the peace of heaven to earth. This wholeness, this putting back together that which was divided. When Paul says, for he is our peace who made both groups one, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, the people of the promise and all of the others who until Jesus came were excluded from this, from this nation. And he brings them together. He separates, what, he, he destroys what divided them and he levels the playing field. We see this promise of peace change from one nation that he was walking along with, showing his glory to, to express to all people. When Jesus comes to earth and brings the peace of heaven touching earth, he opens the gates to all people to come and be reconciled to God. This passage passage teaches us about how peace looks like him reconciling mankind with mankind, right? There are a lot of things that divide us. Specifically here, this Jewish Gentile thing that was going on. Now, there are more things that divide us than things that bring us together often, right? In this very room, if we wanted to get political, this thing would be split. I know it for sure. In this very room, if we wanted to bring up some hard topics, this room would be split. You want to talk about parenting, this room is split. You want to talk about money, this room is split. There are so many things that divide us. What Jesus did in coming to earth and doing what he did was made it so there is a level playing field. We are all welcome to come to the cross. We are all welcome to enter into God's family, into God's kingdom together. It doesn't matter our backgrounds. It doesn't matter our political affiliations. It doesn't matter how we decide to raise our kids. What it does is it creates peace among mankind. We don't always experience this peace, right? We don't always experience this. If you think we always experience this peace, I want what you are taking, Because we we know it, right? Our world is in conflict. 
oftentimes people think we're living in the worst times. Really, if you look at history, like it's always been really bad, right? Always been conflict. But God is doing something in the people of God that looks different than how it should look out there. We come in here with all of our differences onto a level playing field. And we are united by the only thing that really matters. And that is that we are men and women of the kingdom of heaven. And that's because of who Jesus is. It's because of what Jesus did that we all enter into one family united in Christ. In verse 13, just before this passage, it says that, that, that because of Jesus, but in Christ Jesus, we've been brought near. The problem of humanity is not list all of the problems that we think we have. The problem of humanity is that we have been estranged from our God. This unity that we had in the Garden of Eden when we lived together in harmony and peace with God has been disrupted. That is what Jesus came to remedy. He came to make our sins not count against us so that we might be reconciled to God. In this passage, it says, it says, uh, um, he did this, verse 16, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. His goal in coming to earth, all that he did, the climax of all that he would do was to reconcile us with God because we were created to be in relationship with God, like we said in the beginning. We were created to be near God. And so Jesus comes to earth and makes all of the conditions right so that we might be near God again. He makes a way where there was no way for us to get to him. He makes a way. His goal was to reconcile us to God. Peace is reconciliation with God. Why? Because as we said, peace is the presence of God. So imagine God is separated from us. We are in a state of no peace. Because peace is being near God. Peace is the presence of God in our lives. And so Jesus cuts out the dividing wall that separates us. He makes a way for us to be reconciled to him. We have access to the Father, and so we have access to peace. What we have in common is that we are people, the whole world is filled with people that are searching for peace, no matter if we know it or not. We're searching for peace. Everyone just wants to breathe a little bit easier. Everyone's souls are at unrest until they find rest in their maker. And there's turmoil. We turn on each other because we are not at peace. We make war because we are not at peace. All of this starts in the heart of each and every person. And the peace that we so desperately are trying to get at through any means as opposed to going straight to the source of peace himself. Shallow peace is based on momentary release from temporary chaos. Shallow peace is based on momentary relief from temporary chaos. But a deep peace is based on the unmovable love and faithfulness of our God. Deep peace peace that really transforms our minds and hearts, is based on knowing who our God is. And here's why. Because imagine right now all of the chaos spinning around you. If you could just imagine yourself sitting in the palm of the creator of the universe's hand, a creator who knows you by name, a creator 
who loves you deeply. A creator who looks at you as his kid, and he's your father. And he tells you, I love you, and I'm for you, and I have good things for you, and I want to keep you from all the things that are going to hurt you, and I want to give you all of the things that are going to bless you, and your world, no matter what the circumstances are around you, no matter how fast that tornado is spinning, right in the center of it, you're sitting in the palm of your creator. That is peace, people. That is peace that no matter what those circumstances look like, no matter how they change, no matter how that storm moves, no matter how much that, cycle ra- that cyclone rages, that is peace that is unmoving. If we could just imagine that we're actually sitting in this hand of his, he's holding us, that is peace. But we live so often so distant from that peace. And we're trying so hard to manufacture that peace for ourselves. And so we run to all of the wrong places. And he's sitting there, the source of peace, peace incarnate. The personification of peace is sitting there. And he's constantly beckoning us to come, get closer to me. And we're constantly saying, I must find peace. How can I find peace? And so we read self-help books. And we drink ourselves into numbness. And we watch Netflix on hours and hours on end. Because we just need a break from the chaos. And yet peace personified is beckoning us to come closer to me. Because the problem was distance and the solution is nearness. And he's constantly calling us nearer. And Jesus came to make a way for that to be reality. Shallow peace is hoping for a moment of peace in the midst of a storm. Deep peace is knowing that God is in the boat with you. And knowing that at any time, he himself can speak to the waves like he does in Mark 4 and say, peace, be still. And even the wind and the waves obey his words. That is peace, my friends. So if we have this, if we have this understanding that maybe peace doesn't look like a temporary moment of relief from our circumstances, but maybe it looks like no matter what our circumstances are, we have an understanding and a rootedness in who God is. If we understand peace as that, looking for peace looks a lot different. Looking for peace is not sitting in the midst of our chaos and saying, where's God? But it's looking for him everywhere we might find him. Because we know that he is searching for us simultaneously. Peace is not dependent on outward circumstances, but on an inward reality. That you, every person in this room, is known and loved by your maker. And he is always beckoning you nearer and nearer to him. Peace isn't found in the absence of hardship, but in the presence of God. So how do we live with this peace? How do we take this understanding of peace is Jesus? This passage says he himself is our peace. He is peace. If we try to get our brains around this new understanding of peace, it's not a momentary relief from temporary chaos, but as, as this person of Jesus and his presence in our lives, how then do we live with peace? I think probably the question of how do I live with peace is is at the top of most people's list, right? How can I live with peace? 
Well, I don't think you need me to, 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 to tell you at this point, if you've been following along, that living with peace means living as close to God as we could possibly get. And the good news, my friends, is that his desire, the desire of his heart, is that we would live as close to him as we could possibly get. So we are grasping for God, but he has been pulling us to himself all along. He doesn't just meet us halfway. He meets us all the way. In verse 18 of our passage, it says, For through him we both have access to one spirit, the Father. And one spirit to the Father. The fact that we have access to God is something that if you've been in the church for any amount of time, we take for granted. We as broken and fallen and messed up humans, think about the worst thing you did this week. Worst thing you did this week. Maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe it was real bad. Regardless of whatever that is, the worst thing you've done in your whole life, that God still stands there and says, you have full access to me if you come through my son Jesus, what he did for you. You have full access to me. The fact that we have access, think about like a VIP person, like someone who's like, oh, I know a guy. And you're like, ooh, they have access to that person, right? Like, I know a guy who has access to Elon Musk. (laughs) That feels like cool. Like, I kind of feel cooler for knowing Ruben because I'm like, oh, like his boss, his boss is Elon Musk, right? There's something about having access to someone that feels like special. We have access to the maker of all things. We have access to the person who, who makes sure that the earth spins on its axis appropriately so that we stay on the earth. Our feet are on the ground because this maker of all things is keeping our feet on the ground right now. We have access to that God at any time. We have access to him and we take it for granted. And then this passage goes even further. You don't just have access. In verse 19 it says, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. In, in Roman times, uh, to be a member of a household was a very important thing. It was an identity marker. I am a member of this house, household. It means that you belong. It means that you belong. It means that you have a measure of refuge and safety because you belong to this household. And what the maker of all things is saying is, I've got a family and you can belong to it. And there is a measure of refuge and safety and peace that exists because we're a part of this thing that we will never find anywhere else. For those of you who have good fathers, think about being a young child and your dad just having your back. And how much peace and safety that brought. If you didn't have a good father, think of how much your heart longed for that. And we have access to that, and we are invited, and we are made a part of his household. Then it goes one step further. You're being made into a holy temple. If what we are saying is peace is the presence of God, What happens in scripture that we see is when we give our lives to Jesus, what does he give us back? His Holy Spirit. Bible says that he makes us into living temples. In the Old Testament, we see that the temple was where the presence of God dwelled. He makes us into living temples, which means the presence of God dwells within us. 
Peace is the presence of God. That means, friends, that God's peace is always with us. His peace is always with us because he is always with us. We just don't often give any space to stop and to be still and to let him be God and remember that he loves us and is for us. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. The good news of peace is that though we were once far from God, we've been brought near to him. I don't want us to miss this this morning. We can take for granted the fact that we were once far from God, and he has now made a way for us to be near him. This is a reality that is a profound mystery, that the God of the universe would invite us into his family, despite all that we have done, despite all the times we've rejected him, despite all the times we've turned our back on him and gone our own way. When we are looking for peace, what we're looking, is, what we're looking for is wholeness, is completeness, for things to be right, for him to put things back together again. And friends, I want you to know that no matter how much your life might look right now like things are not put together, your God is working on your behalf, making all things right, and putting all things back together. They might not look the way that we hope it will look, but it will be deeper, it will be more profound, it will be more eternal, and it will fill you with more peace than you could possibly pursue on your own. Doesn't always mean that our circumstances change, right? In, in John 16, 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And then he says, you will have suffering in this world. But be courageous. I have conquered the world. Peace is less about a change of circumstances and more about a transformation of our hearts and minds. So, in that passage, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. We have a choice in this. We can dwell on our problems. We can, we can sit and wallow in self-pity. This is different than mourning. We need to mourn when we need to mourn. But some of us, we need to get up. We can rehearse our problems over and over again and drown ourselves in them. We can go out and find quick fixes. We can go out and make decisions for ourselves knowing this might not be what God has for me, but I need to take matters into my own hands because God is not doing for me in my time what I hope he'll do for me. And so I'm going my own way. We can let our circumstances determine our faith. We can do all of this. We have choice. We have free will in this. Or we can rest. We can trust. We can have faith. We get to choose peace. And sometimes we choose it with our heads and our wills before we feel it in our heart, but we choose it. Because our peace isn't determined by our circumstances. It's determined by the, by the character of our God, by the unmoving nature of his love and faithfulness to us. And so we can participate. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting you. God will keep the mind that is dependent on him in peace. Not because he's fixed our circumstances, but because we are trusting him. Because our peace isn't, just like our hope and our joy isn't found in our circumstances, neither is our peace. It is all found in who God is. 
And then Philippians 4, 6 through 9. It's a passage that many of us know well, but I want us to think about it in light of this understanding of peace. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then it's followed up with this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the peace of God will be with you. Don't sit in your stuff. Don't, don't allow the worries of this world to overwhelm you because God has overcome the world and he's on your side and he's on your team and he invites you in to a peace that passes understanding and he says, dwell on these things, all of this stuff that's good. Think of these things and you will have peace because I'm the giver of these things and I'm the overcomer of these things and you have full access to me. Jesus planted seeds of this kingdom peace here on earth when he was here. And the Holy Spirit continues to water these seeds of peace in our hearts. And the people of God continue to to be able to be bearers of this peace to the world. But the harvest of this peace awaits his second coming. There will be a peace that covers all, where the lion will lay down with the lamb where everything wrong will be undone. Everything will be made right and everything, everything will be made new and everything will be set right. And Advent is this time of waiting for that, of knowing that we live in the in-between, but we are people of the promise. And so we live like heaven has come down and touched earth and deposited in us the presence of God whom we have access to at all times no matter our circumstances. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.